Devora Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. At Naomi Goldman's, and um, I did a lot of the foundational part of the class, so I'd like to do a little bit of that again for the benefit of everyone, and of course we can never lose from hearing something over again, especially in a Musar Vad, which is what this is based on. This is based on the work of Dina Schoonmaker, who, uh, she taught my daughter there you go, taught at Michala, so you probably heard it all, but I discovered it just a few years ago, and I've been teaching a lot of her material because I find it very practical and down-to-earth, and Musser typically, Musser writings have been written for men, um, so a lot of them come out feeling very harsh to women, number one, and number two, women, unlike men, have a tendency to beat themselves up uh, much more uh um, intensely than men do, and so sometimes, you know, to actually study Muster can put us in a, a state of depression and despair, and that's not what Muster's supposed to do. The men seem to be able to handle it better, because again, I like to say, you know, if a woman's a few pounds overweight, she looks in the mirror and she says, I got 20 pounds to lose, and a, a man can be like 40 pounds overweight and look in the mirror and say, I look great. <laughs> so, you know, it's just the difference between men are from Mars and women are from Venus, right? We're never good enough, we're never slim enough, we're never a good enough mother, a good enough wife, a good enough this, a good enough that, and so we have to be careful. And so what I like about Dina Schoonmaker is she actually selects and chooses things that actually were written for women or that women can sort of take in a in the proper way that aren't too harsh. So that I found very, um, very, uh, what's the word? Illuminating. Okay. Um, so the subject that was, first I want to thank Naomi for opening her home to us and I wanted to let you all know that uh, my husband is really enjoying his stint as the rabbi at Clanton Park Shul and uh, anyway and we're very grateful to be doing this and um, I just okay so the, the topic that, that we're going to be delving into is called Hakpada and Hakpada is basically defined as internalized anger and resentment <coughs> And this is something that many of us carry around with us. And actually, Dina Schoonmaker points out that many of the uh, Bali Musters say that women tend to have this even more deeply than men do because women are more emotional, more into connections and relationships. They usually give a lot when it comes to other people's relationships. And therefore, whenever we feel sort of unappreciated, insulted, um, ignored all of these different things by different people in our lives, in our world, we can tend to have a dip more difficult time getting rid of this internalized anger and resentment. Now, just to draw a model of the people and relationships in our lives, we want to think about concentric circles, circle one, circle two, and circle three people in your life. So circle one people are the people who you don't do not choose. These are the people in your close family, you know, your children, your 
parents, your relatives. And of course, you know, we think we chose our husbands, but as I like to say, it doesn't take too long after the wedding that we wonder, what was I thinking? (laughs) (laughs) And we know that there was, you know, there's a very Jewish idea that we don't really, you know, our, our, our spouse is chosen for us before we're born. And that actually all of these people in our inner circle, the Chida tells us that we choose our parents and we basically choose a lot of our scenario that's in our inner circle. And these are the people that we sometimes find it the most difficult to behave with and not to carry around a lot of internalized anger about. You know, it could be a sister-in-law, it could be somebody on the periphery even of that inner circle that you didn't choose. But those tend to be the relationships that are the most difficult. Circle two are the people that you do choose. Circle two are the people you like. They're the people that if you have any extra time, you want to be with them, like all the ladies here, right? (laughs) You know, they're the people who bring out the best in you, and you don't really have to try that hard. You just feel good with them, and that's why you like to be with them. So obviously, those are people who are your friends. Now, sometimes circle one and circle two can intersect, meaning you could have a sister or a sister-in-law, you know, that you say, you know, even if you weren't in my circle one, I love being with you. I would have chosen you anyway, to be in my circle too. And one of the um, goals of working on Hakpada is to work on this idea of Ahavas Chinam, right? We all know that the base of Mikdash was destroyed out of Sinas Chinam. And one of the ways that you know that you are getting closer to um, repairing your own ability to have more Ahavas Chinam is to think about someone in your circle one who's difficult and the goal is to try to make them feel like they're part of your, they would be part of your circle too. Because as I, as I said, you know, sometimes you have somebody in your circle one who actually sees you interacting with people in the circle two, and they're almost jealous and longingly looking on from the sidelines wondering, why can't she be like that when she's with me? Why is it always so intense or tense or, you know, I wish I had that relationship with her. And there are people who, you know, could be thinking that. So one of the gauges of, or one of the homework assignments that I would give you is to think about somebody in your circle one, and we all have those people, and try and think, you know, how can I, you know, help in little tiny ways to crumble whatever internalized anger and resentment I have by making this person doing outward external type of acts that might make the person feel more like they would be part of my circle too. Welcome. Circle three are the people that you interact with that are outside of these two circles. They're the guy on the road. That's the guy on the road who cuts you off in traffic, right? It's the lady who takes your parking spot at Yorkdale, even though you were clearly there first, okay? It's the lady behind the Hermes counter. If uh, I don't know. People have trouble with the ladies behind the Hermes counters. I don't know. But whatever, I should say. Whatever, it's the ladies at the bakery, it's the, you know, it could be anybody, it could be a neighbor down the street, and a neighbor may, may even be in your circle one sometimes, because sometimes a neighbor could be so difficult and disruptive in your life that you could put them in with the people who you don't choose. But generally, circle three people are strangers and people who come in in and out of your life, but even with them, we respond in certain ways if we've been insulted or upset by what they do and 
we we can hold things in or against those people that come in and out of our lives every day that aren't part of those first two circles. So, um, okay, so last week, let's see, what else? Oh, so by the way, um, the, uh, the definition of hatred, according to halacha, of hating somebody is... Uh, this idea that if you would avoid a person for three days consecutively, the halacha tells us that that means that you hate the person in your heart. Okay, now I'm not talking about somebody who's a nudnik or somebody who, you know, um, you know, perhaps it's better to not see them because things are not good between you, but just, um, azoi, you haven't really worked through anything with them, it's still there, and perhaps it's a call to say, you know, you need to work something out. So that's that's the definition, just, just to throw it out there. Um, so there are many reasons why having hakpada is very dangerous. First of all, we can fool ourselves, right? When we have external, there's different kinds of anger. Number one, there's ka'as, which is externalized anger. So externalized anger, it's very clear that you're angry. Everybody knows it. You know it. You know, it's not great, but you're getting it out. And that's called, that's externalized anger. The second, second type of anger is hakpada. And what is hakpada in terms of anger? It's really passive aggressive type of behavior. It's passive aggressive anger where you feel something in your heart. You don't like the person, but you pretend on the outside that you do. This could be one way that you deal with your hakpada. Um, and it, it's very dangerous for a number of reasons. Number one, you can fool yourself into thinking that you're not really angry. Number two, you can fool everybody else because what do you mean? I'm, I'm the big person. I didn't blow up. I didn't say anything. I didn't do anything. I'm the martyr. I'm the one who took the high road. But the truth is, is you haven't really worked out anything and you, you know, you've just sort of decided that you're going to take on this martyrdom type of behavior. Number three, I mean, there's many reasons. I'm not going to go look at it now. But another reason, obviously, is the, the, the Jewish writings and the secular writings tell us that anger, this kind of anger that's held in, is toxic, right? It, it causes medical issues. And emotionally, it's draining to have so much negative energy, right? When we're angry at somebody or we're, we've been insulted by somebody, we're involved in that. We can literally wake up in the morning and not even get moda'ani out of our mouths. And that person is already in front of our face. And we're already going over and chewing over exactly what they said and what they did and how could they. And... One of the biggest reasons that we have to work on Hakpada is because we have a tremendous number of mitzvahs that basically tell us that we're not allowed to have Hakpada. Altisna achicha bilvavecha. You're not allowed to hate, hate your brother in your heart. Betzedek tishbora misecha. You have to judge every person with justice, right? We have losikon, lositor, don't, don't bear a grudge, don't take revenge. And the kamocha that we have to love every person the way we love ourselves. Of course, if we don't love ourselves, that's also a work in itself. The more we can learn to love ourselves, which is not a simple avoda, the more easily it comes to be able to love and forgive other people. 
But um, so so it's very serious this concept of working on Hakpada because again we're over on so many mitzvahs that are clearly in the Torah that Hashem is commanding us to do. And as we know the saying, if Hashem commanded us to do it, then obviously it must be possible. So um, let's see if there's anything else I missed. Oh, yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about Homer and Surah. So Homer and Surah are two ideas that are very important when you're working on any kind of character development. And um, Homer refers to the raw materials that each one of us are born with. For example, some people are just more easily insulted because they were born with a very sensitive nature. Other people, you know, it, it goes off of them like a water off of a duck's back. Is that the uh, expression? Because they just don't take things too seriously or they don't take it to heart or they have more self-confidence or they were born with more self-esteem or they get over things more quickly. So we all have a certain homer, a certain raw material that Hashem is the one who gave us. In other words, we have character traits that are positive. We have character traits that are negative. And we are not responsible for either of them because they were given to us. You know, so if a person, I've done a whole class on self-esteem, which obviously you can see how important this concept is. You know, if a person is puffed up whenever anybody gives them a, a compliment and feels like, you know, I'm great, I'm wonderful. And then the next minute somebody steps, you know, they step on someone's toe and the person calls them an idiot and they feel like, you know, I'm a nothing, I'm a nobody. This is a problem because basically your strengths and your weaknesses, who you are, you did not choose. Hashem gave them to you. My mother used to say this expression, Aleha Shalom. I don't know where she got it from, but she'd say, say it often. She'd say, what I am is God's gift to me. But who I become is my gift to God. So that's what Surah is. Surah is that Hashem gives us each Homer, a pekala of strengths and weaknesses. And he says, I want you to take these and I want you to work with them. And I want you to, from the word Surah, I want you to form something with this piece of clay and make yourself into something. And so that's just a principle um, whenever we're working on ourselves to realize that some things for some people are easier because that's that wasn't part of their homer, and some things for us are more difficult. And of course, Hashem knows that more than any anybody else because He knows exactly which dosages of these different constellation of traits He gave us. And that's why each one of us is so incredibly unique because even though there may be a certain finite number of character traits, both positive and negative, they're all, we all have sprinklings of them in different dosages. You know, we could have a lot of this, just a little bit of that, et cetera, et cetera, and all different dosages. And no two people have the exact same ingredients. And that's why each one of us has our job based on who we are and our job and our ability to move up, you know, is very, very different, looks very different. And in general, you know, it's not where a person begins on the ladder, but rather, you know, how far they've moved on the ladder and what direction they're going in. And that is a very important image also to have when it comes to spiritual development and spiritual growth. And it doesn't make any sense to look at the other person's ladder <coughs> 
and where they are on it because we have no idea where they began and what their tests are and what's expected of them. And so this is just an important idea when working on ourselves that we, um, we realize there's Homer and Sura. Okay, so the word hakpada actually is interesting because the root of the word hakpada is kipud, which is a porcupine. Okay, so the porcupine with its quills. So, you know, we know that people who like are angry inside, but on the outside they put on a face or they pretend it's okay. No, it's all right. You know, I understand. I drove your kid carpool 25 times and you still have never been able to do it for me when I've been in a bind. I mean, sure, that's fine. I love you too. You know, whatever it is, right? But the other person can feel the quills, right? Even if you've put on a good show. Because we know that what's in the heart, right, is effect, is felt by the other person. So it's just, you know, very uh, apropos that that is the word porcupine inside the word hakpada. Now, hakpada could be a positive mita. How could it be positive? I muck pee to pay my cleaning lady on time, right? I muck pee to always say thank you and to teach my children proper mitos, etc., etc., right? So the idea is that it doesn't have to be negative. It can be positive to be very meticulous about certain things. But where we get into issues of hapada is when we're meticulous about other people's behavior and where we become, you know, overwhelmed by the fact that we can't control other people's behavior because, of course, we all know the only persons who's be person whose behavior we can control, and even then it's not easy, is our own, right? And of course, that's a work in itself. So in terms of controlling everybody else around us, which would seem to be much easier, um, you know, neither tend to be easy. They're both, they both take a lot of work. So we might as well do what's the right thing, which is to work on, you know, I point a finger at you, but three fingers are pointing back at me, right? So really, it all, the work all begins here because once we develop more self-control and self-worth and self-like, the less other people's stuff bothers us. Or we recognize that other people's stuff is just a tool for us to be able to grow and develop ourselves as painful as it, as it can be. Um, so that's just uh, an important idea. So the Bali Musters say that we have to get rid of Hakpada the way we get rid of Hametz before Pesach. That it is such a, a negative and toxic Mida, and there's no place for it really, that we have to get rid of every crumb of it. And, okay, so, because it poisons the body and the soul. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about, so we all know the Mishnah in Pirkei Avos, Pirkei Mishnah Yuddala, that describes four different types of temperament. We have the person who's angered easily and pacified easily, the person who's hard to anger and hard to pacify, the person who's difficult to anger and easy to pacify, and the last one is a person who's easy to anger and difficult to pacify. But there's one category that's missing here. And that's the person who never gets angry, because there is no such bird, right? Because, you know, Chazal understood that we all do, but they also tell us that Ezehu Gibor HaKovesha Sitzra, the one who is able to overcome their anger. 
Okay, so I want to look just a little bit more closely at the first type of anger that we talked about, which is externalized anger. And that's the letting off steam type of anger. And it's sort of like when you, when you just let it all out and you let it go, it's, the image is it's like letting off a burden. Okay? It's not calculated, it's unbridled, and it's uncontrolled. And a lot of times when we're in a kind of a fight like that, you can picture it with the circle one person, it's like we continue to add on, right? It's like, when are we going to stop already? We can't stop, we just keep adding on. And that's called kitchen sinking. So, you know, you're, you're angry with your spouse, they didn't do something that you asked them to do a hundred times, and, you know, you can't take it anymore, and you just start saying, I can't believe you didn't do this, and then, you know, you're never responsible, and you never remember, and your mother never liked me, and blah, 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 <laughs> and it goes on and on and on. Five years ago, you didn't do this, and ten years ago, right? So, uh, Dina Schoonmaker actually said that she once saw a cartoon, which I thought was very good for Canadians, where she said that uh, it was a picture of a couple who were um, doing the garbage or something, you know, putting things in the proper bins. And she says, this environmentally conscious couple is busy recycling the garbage of their relationship. Mm -hmm. Anyway, but it also showed that they were, okay. So Ravolbe, who I'm sure you've all heard about, he was one of the masters of the Muslim movement in this generation, and his son has taken over for him. Um... He says that the opposite of ka'as is savlanut, is patience. And it's very interesting that the word sevel means to endure pain, and the word saval is a porter. So what do they have? Obviously, whenever a Hebrew word shares the same shoresh, it means that they have what to do with each other. So somebody who's enabled to endure pain is like a saval, a porter, a porter is somebody who carries a very heavy piece of furniture. And savlanut, when you tell somebody savlanut, it means that you carry it even when it's hard. Okay? And relationships are all about carrying another person. I thought, I just thought it was interesting. The word carrying and caring are, sound the same, right? You're carrying the person that you care about. And when you care about somebody, you don't mind carrying them. And sometimes they're easy to carry, and sometimes they're more difficult. And when their idiosyncrasies start getting to you, or you've had just too much time together, or whatever it might be, right, all of a sudden they can start to feel very heavy. And so what do we do when a relationship starts to feel heavy, especially somebody in our circle one we tend to do this more with? When we get angry, <clears throat> when we get angry, it's like flipping the relationship off your shoulders. So we can do damage that way because we don't put the person down carefully, so to speak. And that's like a porter. You can imagine a porter carrying a heavy piece of furniture up a skinny set of stairs. I always picture this Arab in Israel, you know, carrying things on their body, like a, a washing machine or something up to the top floor of some tiny... You can imagine if they just said, you know, I've had it, I don't want to carry this anymore, and they just flip the washing machine off of their, you know, head or whatever they're carrying it on, and it bangs, you know, all the way down to the bottom of the apartment building. So that's kind of what it looks like when we decide, you know what, I can't carry this relationship anymore. I'm just going to flip it off. And that's what aggressive communication looks like. 
Okay, passive communication that we already talked about a little bit is very confusing because it's characterized by an unwillingness to honestly share thoughts, feelings, and desires. And it often leaves the other person feeling angry, confused, mistrustful, and it's a barrier to true intimacy. And like we said earlier, hakpara, internalized anger, is very confusing to others because your insides and your outside don't match. Okay, and I'm again, I'm talking with people where we have hakpara, but we 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 interact with them in a way where we've never dealt with the issue, and so we pretend. And that can be sometimes a helpful way to, you know, mend something, but if it's if it's not mending anything and you're not moving anywhere with it, then it can be very um, toxic. Again, it's the type that we want to get rid of. So you're smiling on the outside and maybe even feeling pure very on the inside, but you have a lot of internalized anger. And it's actually interesting that in the Torah, Yosef's brothers were actually praised for not being two-faced, right? It says, Rashi tells us that they hated Yosef, and they acted like they hated Yosef. <laughs> they didn't pretend that they really liked him and then do this dastardly deed. So, and, and it's interesting that they're actually praised for the fact that they, you know, they were the same on the inside and out, that their, their behavior matched as much as obviously things would have turned out differently if they had gotten to a place where they understood that Yosef wasn't as much of a threat as they thought. But anyway, um, so, okay. Okay, so I think I'm going to get into the tools now. So there are five tools to work on ridding ourselves of hakpada. And we're going to go through each one of them. And again, some of these tools will work for you, and some of them won't. Some of them will work for some people in your life, and some of them won't. And the first one that we're going to talk about is one called Vitor, which is an internalized work on letting go of the anger that you might have against somebody else. And one of the caveats of this one is this is a hard one to use with constant offenders, right? With people who are over and over again, you know, insulting you, uh, doing things that are, you know, just slapping you in the face. It's very difficult to continue to keep letting it go. Obviously, perhaps a different tool is going to work better with this person. But generally speaking, this can work very well with people in our circle three for sure. And people in our circle two, if we decide that the friendship and relationship is important to us. You know, the one thing about circle two people is obviously if we start to feel that a friendship or a relationship in circle two, these are people that we choose, um, is not working for us anymore or is more negative than positive, as long as we can walk away without holding something against the person, right, and we've done that work, then we can we can say, you know, this life is short. I only have so many people that I can fit into my life. I only have so much time for friendships. And, you know, in a nice way, slowly, slowly, you know, you can sort of let, have a less intense relationship with this person. But that's very difficult to do, obviously, with people in your circle one. So that's a different ballgame. So 
we're going to talk about Vitur. So Vitur is an internal mitzvah. It's in the courtroom of your mind, like that Rav Hanoch Teller book, right? The courtroom of your mind. And it's based on the idea that we need to judge others betzedek. And just, you know, it's very important to understand when it comes to Hakpada that it really doesn't matter whether the other person was wrong or right. Because the point in life in general is not to be right, but to be righteous, right? And there's a big distinction between being right and being righteous. And a lot of times we think being right, and well, it's the truth. And of course, we know Lashon Hara is true derogatory information. It's not false. That's called something else. That's called Motsi Shemra, right? That's even worse. But a lot of people don't realize Lashon Hara is true. It's true. It's true. Everybody knows it. It's true derogatory information. But but it's not allowed to be said. Again, because Hashem loves Shalom more than he loves Emma's. Right? He allowed his name to be erased for the sake of Shalom. But we're all very passionate about the truth. And especially when it involves another person, you know, we want them to understand that I'm right and you're wrong. And again, the real uh, work is not to be right, but to be righteous. And that's the difficult work that's involved. Okay, so there's a Gemara um, in Rosh Hashanah that says, Kol ha-ma'avir al-midosav shel chavero ma'avirin al-chatav. That anyone who overlooks the deficiencies of others, Hashem will look away from his, his imperfections. And, um, it's, you know, it's, uh, fitting that this is a Gemara and Rosh Hashanah because we know that just before Yantiv, we're all very focused on working on our develop, character development and trying to mend relationships between other people. And Hashem is giving us a promise here and telling us that in exactly the way that you are that you overlook other people's deficiencies and imperfections, that's the degree to which I also am going to look away at your imperfections and deficiencies. You choose the measurement of how that's going to work, right? So the word midotav, which means character traits, it also means measure, right? Because each one of us, as we explained earlier, has a certain measure of that particular character trait within us. Okay, so David HaMelech said famously, Hashem Tzilcha, Hashem is your shadow. And that's the same idea that, you know, two things about a shadow. Number one is that a shadow is very close to us. You can't get rid of your shadow. He's, she's always there next to you. So that's just an idea that David HaMelech is telling us that Hashem is right there, always next to us, like our shadow. We can never run away from our shadow. On the other hand, the other idea about a shadow is that the shadow imitates us. Whatever we do, the shadow does back. And so again, the idea is that Hashem is my shadow. Whatever I do, to the degree that I overlook the imperfections and deficiencies in others, to the degree that I forgive the other person for whatever they did, whether they're right or wrong, and probably always wrong, right? Um... That is the degree to which Hashem will say, you know what, she was tired, she was hungry, she forgot, she didn't know, she's got a bad, I gave her the bad meat of anger, you know, I'm going to give her a break because I know how hard it is for her, right? She likes to talk, whatever it is, whatever meat that Hashem gave us. So he's going to overlook it also and say, ah, it's okay. 
So if I'm mukpeed about what the other person said or did, obviously Hashem will be mukpeed with me too. And he will say, okay, you want to be strict? I can be strict too. You want to not have any rachmanas or be merciful? I can also not exercise my rachmanas muscle. So Rashi actually comments on the word midosav, and he says it means to measure. And what he does a little play on this on this pasuk, he says to avoid hakpada, you need to stop measuring. He says anyone who doesn't bother to measure the pain that someone caused him and lets it go, Hashem does the same. And Dina Schoonmaker explains on this Rashi that there are some people who are always walking around with a measuring stick. Okay? And they're walking around with their measuring stick and they're going, you know what? I invited you for Shabbos three times and I, we've only come once, you know? I drove carpool for you how many times when you weren't well and I don't remember you're ever doing it for me when I was in a bind, right? And whatever it is that we measure, you know, I would never say something like that to another person. I can't believe this person could say that, could talk like that, etc. And so people who walk around with a measuring stick, it's, it's, it's a Rahmanas. Because first of all, the person who's measuring always comes out looking good. And I'm going to give you an example of, of that. There's uh you know, I visited you when you were sick. You didn't even call me. I bail you out. Okay, I hope it goes back now. All right, so, you know, people like that are, I invited you, you didn't invite me, you get the idea. So there was a study by a man named John Gottman, maybe you've heard of him. He has a whole website, and he's very famous because he's a marriage expert. So he did a, a, a study on marital happiness, and he had a theory that, you know, if there's an equal division of tasks in the relationship, then it'll be a happier marriage. And, but what he found when he did this is that there was no relationship between this, between uh, marital happiness and equality of tasks. That rather the person who was the scorekeeper, who was doing the measuring of whether or not we're doing, you know, an equal amount of work, um, always ends up coming up short. And that's in general in life. Anybody who is doing the measuring, right, is doing the scorekeeping, they always end up, you know, like, oh, 21 for me, 19 for you. You know, like, you just didn't, you didn't make it, you didn't do it enough. You didn't, I'm keeping score, and I know. So that is part of the problem with being somebody who measures. The scorekeeper always is tipping the score in his favor. And, you know, he's always going to end up coming out smelling like roses. And the other guy just didn't quite make it. And a second idea is obviously that a relationship that is tit for tat is not a loving relationship. It's a business relationship. So any kind of relationships that we have in, you know, circle one or circle two when we start doing this tit-for-tat kind of, I did this for you, you didn't do that for me, we're going to fail. We're going to, we're bound to be upset and unhappy with the relationship. But again, relationships are not business partnerships. 
it doesn't mean that, you know, each side is going to give equally and that it's a completely balanced relationship. So again, the way to overcome Hakpada is to drop the measuring stick and walk away. And if you want to get to any kind of internal resolution inside of you and be able to forgive people in your heart, you have to drop the measuring stick. Okay, so I spoke already about Homer and Sura. And one of the ways that it comes into this part of what I'm speaking about is that one of the ways that can help us to drop the measuring stick and walk away is to realize that not anybody is the same as we are. And things that might be easy for us are not easy for another person. You know, you might have grown up in a home where Hachnasas Orchim was second nature to your parents, and there were always people coming and going, and, you know, your mother was so relaxed that it didn't matter how many guests were coming second, you know, at the, at the last second, you know, sure, all set for a few more people, big deal, right? Or you could have grown up in a home where, you know, your mother was a nervous wreck if she knew she was going to have guests in three months from, from that day. And like, you know, everybody was walking on eggshells and it was crazy. And, and then you have such a, a negative, um, sense, a negative, um, what's the word? Connection to that mitzvah that, you know, if you manage to have a few guests every so often, it's a big deal for you. And, you know, you might be looking at this person saying, I don't understand. Like, you know, I have you all the time, you know, you know, whatever it is. The point is, again, that we have to be very careful because our Homer and, and Sura and where we've gotten with it are all, um, you know, very, very unique. We're wired differently. And um, just like in the base Hamikdash, people brought according to their ability, right? The wealthy were expected to bring more. Um, it's too early in the morning. I need a drink <laughs> to bring more um, think corbanos and more fitting to their level of just oh, anything. Geez. Maybe just a drink of water, even um, you know. And obviously, the poor people were expected to bring what they could bring, but certainly you weren't looking at other people's baskets because you understood that this is what I can bring, and this is all Hashem expects me to bring. So again. When it comes to relationships with other people, we have to realize that they are not me. And what is easy for me may be very, very difficult for them. And again, I hope that people are judging me that maybe what they think should be easy for me is difficult for me. Or, you know, sometimes we didn't even know it was difficult for us until we realize that we're just never going to be that other person who's able to do what it is that they do. You know, I'm never going to be Henny Machlis. Allah Shalom. I, I lived right around the corner from her. I am actually in her book, the book about her, because she used to use my ovens before, you know, five minutes before Shabbos was coming, you know, to put her challahs in. And, and, you know, like I could spend my whole life saying, why can't I be Henny Machlis? What's wrong with me? You know, but obviously everybody has his limits and things that, that come more naturally. And less naturally, Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech Alam Shakoni Vidvaro. Amen. Okay, how are we doing with time? I'm bad. I'm bad about that. Ten after ten. Okay, so we still have quite a bit of time. Any questions? Any concerns? Any things that you're thinking about? Yes. I find sometimes it's helpful to look at someone like in relationship. What you're saying that they just don't have the capacity 
I'm a teacher and one of my friends was teaching, she went, she was teaching a grade and the kids were really difficult. And I said, you know, if a two-year-old looked at you and said like, whatever, some sort of insult, you wouldn't take it to heart because you'd be like, okay, they're two, like I'm a grown up. They're just, they're being silly. So I said, just look like they don't have the capacity. Pretend you're teaching a bunch of two-year-olds, even though they were like grade four, let's say. So it helps you take it less personally. Yeah, that's very good. I'm, you're just making me remember, I worked for Zarenu for a while when I first moved to Toronto. And, you know, I, I had this chiddush finally one day. I said, you know what, we all have special needs. I mean, we all have special needs. We all have limitations and deficiencies. You know, we look at people like who are in Zarenu and we say, oh, well, it's so obvious, you know, it's so obvious that they have. But the truth is, is we may be on a higher level in terms of not externally looking like we have any special needs or deficiencies but even with our own husbands or our children you know sometimes it's helpful to say you know the same kind of idea like you know this they have a special need in this area or this is not an area that is developed or evolved and you know it, I was born this way like it's just not something that's going to change but that actually is going to come up in a different um a different tool which you know basically tells us that we have to accept that another person is not going to change that and we have to laugh about it as opposed to cry or get angry about it just laugh about it in the right way but we're going to get there okay so the Chafetz Chaim says that there are five stages to judging another person favorably and that every person should find the one that works for you so the first one is this that the person did not actually do what I thought he or she did, right? Maybe I heard wrong. Maybe I saw wrong. Maybe I misunderstood. I don't know why. When I was in Israel, I studied with Robertson Weinberg, and we had all these superstar teachers who are all the teachers that are all very, very popular today, but they all got their start at IAT. As a matter of fact, Rabbi Leff once came to Toronto, and he was lecturing in front of a huge group, and he said at the beginning of his lecture, he said, please don't come up to me after the lecture and ask me if I know you. I don't know you. I've taught at, you know, I've taught thousands and thousands of girls, and I've taught at so many different seminaries, and I don't know you, so please don't come up to me. So, of course, chutzpah dek me goes up afterwards because I just couldn't believe it, right? And not that I was so out there or anything, but I said, hi, Rabbi Lev, I'm just, I know you said not to come up to you, but I'm just wondering if you, you know, remember teaching at IAT. And his eyes lit up and he got so excited and he said, of course I remember. He said, that was the first place I ever taught. And then he started rattling off all my friends. It was a small place that he remembered and was asking me about them. So, I mean, we had all of the great teachers, and one of them was Rebetzin Samet. She was our teacher for Shmira Salashon. So I always remember just one story she told about, you know how there's a million cats in Israel, and they're always in the garbage bins and everything? So she once told this story, which is kind of creepy, but of some person in the neighborhood who was putting, when they throw out their garbage, instead of getting the garbage right into the bin, like some of it would be left hanging out on the outside of the garbage. And the neighbor would watch this person do this over and over again and think, what is wrong with her? Why can't she just put the whole thing in properly? And, you know, especially we have this cat problem, etc. Anyway, the, the punchline to the story was that this person was a cat lover 
and she hated that the cats had to jump into the bin to go and look for their food. So she would put some pieces of food strategically outside the bin so it would be easier for the cat. So, of course, you know, everybody else you know, whatever. But, the, you know, this was just one of the, these true stories that, you know, well, you know, maybe there's more to this than I than I know. So this is kind of number one. Maybe I, I, you know, okay, there's also, maybe that's not the right one. But the point is, is sometimes we do hear things wrong, or we see things in the wrong way. We don't really understand. As she would say, you, you know, this is chapter two, you don't know what happened in chapter one. You don't know what's going to happen in chapter three. You're in the middle of the movie. Robinson Weinberg always used to say, you're in the middle of the movie. If you got up to get popcorn now, the bad guys are winning and they're going to win, right? If you don't come back, that's what you're going to think happened in the cowboy movie, right? But if you come back and you sit till the end of the movie, the good guys always win. But if you leave the picture in the middle, if you only see one part of the story, we really don't know. We really don't know what's going on. And so often I found, not that I do it as much as I should, that when we actually use our imagination to try and figure out how the person, you know, could be judged favorably, we tend to be closer to the truth of what actually happened than when we just naturally, by reflex, go to that negative hole that human beings tend to go to, that, you know, we're all wired for negativity. We're like, Rav Noah used to say, we're like that dog that has to sniff at every single hole you walk by and you have to yank him out of there. That's the same way a human being is. But when we actually exercise that muscle in our brain, it's like when I first heard this idea that you have to give others the benefit of the doubt and you have to, you know, you all of these things. It was like, you know how they always say you only use a part of, you know, you only use like a tiny little bit of your brain. It was like all of a sudden there was this part of my brain where the light bulb went on. You know, it had never been lit up in my life because I never heard such a, such an idea. I see it. It's, you know, I call it what it is. I call a spade a spade, whatever the, the expression is. And that's what it is. But to all of a sudden have to go through all these intellectual and imaginative machinations of how the person could actually come out looking good. And the truth is, is when we do that, a lot of times we're much closer to the truth than we are when we just naturally go for the negative. And what I see is what I got. So that's just interesting. Okay, secondly, the person did it by mistake, whatever it was. It wasn't intentional. Right? Maybe they were tired. Maybe they were hungry. Maybe they didn't have good judgment. The person didn't realize how bad it was because if they knew how bad it, what it was that they, what they were doing, they wouldn't have done it. Or they didn't, they did, uh, they didn't know how, how bad the consequences would be. Okay? Number four is I must be missing a detail. There's something that I don't know about. And, you know, it's like a, the picture of an iceberg, you know, that we see the iceberg on top of the water, but there's so much of the iceberg that's buried underneath the water. There's so much of the story that we're missing that we don't see. It could even be one detail, and it could change everything. So, um, Dina Schoonmaker tells a story that's quite amazing, that she says that, you know, when she first moved to Harnof, they were in a new building, etc., and her kids were getting to know kids in the building. And she had a five-year-old son who was making friends with another five-year-old boy down the hall. And this kid was visiting uh, Erev Shabbos after Hadlakas Neros. 
And anyway, she's getting to know this kid and hoping that he's going to be a, a nice friend for her son. And she gives each of them a piece of licorice after uh, lift benching. And after this kid finishes his licorice, she says, could I have another one? So she says, you know, I, I'll give, I, you know, I'll give you another one next week. And he says, well, I won't be here next week. She goes, well, what do you mean? He says, um, we're moving. So she's completely, she can't believe this kid. She's just met his parents this week and nobody said anything about moving. And she's thinking, okay, the kid's a liar. I mean, okay, he wants the licorice, right? <laughs> anyway, so he says, so can I have one? And she says, you know what? Uh, I'm not comfortable giving it to you. You can go down the hall and ask your mother. If she says yes, then fine. So he said, I can't ask my mother. And she's looking at him and he goes, she's dead. So you can imagine now Dina says, you know, not only is he a liar, he's a pathological liar. I mean, it's like, I do not want this kid to be friends with my kid. Okay, this is not good. Anyway, so she says, so he says, so can I have it? So I think, you know, whatever, she gives him another one. She feels nebuch for this kid. Anyway, it turns out that the following week, she gets like a phone call that they're having a party in the building for this couple who's the, the, the kid's parents who are moving, are moving to South Africa. And of course, she's like, whoa, like, this kid wasn't lying. It's true, you know, they really are moving. How come I didn't know? Like, what? This must be really, really sudden. And sure enough, they go to the party, and she goes up to the mother, and she says, you know, I mean, your son mentioned it, but I, I didn't believe him because I thought, like, you never said anything to me. And and the, the woman explains to her, she said, well, you know, it happened really suddenly. My husband, who's in academia, got an incredible offer to be, you know, I think it was Australia, maybe South Africa, maybe South Africa. She said to be, you know, to get to go on sabbatical to this university. And we couldn't pass up this opportunity. So, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. We're packing up and we're leaving next week. And uh, Dina says to her, wow, she says, how are you managing? And she said, I'm not. I'm dead. I'm dead. <laughs> she was South African, right? They like to use that word, I'm dead. Anyway, so the kid wasn't lying on both counts, right? They were moving, and their mother was dead. And, uh, you know, I just think that it's such a great story uh, to indicate that. And I probably, I mean, I could tell another story, but I think... Um, I think that there's that one is really good. Okay, and number five, and we're going to end with this because I think we've talked enough about this, is number five is judge the whole person. We all know this idea. Thank you for coming. Oh, you're welcome. I'm sorry I have to leave in the middle of the movie, but you'll win. Okay, thanks. <laughs> have a good day. Thank you. It was nice meeting you. Thank you for Everybody coming. Have a good night. Thank you. Same to you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, could I share a story? Yeah, so, please uh, tell us. Okay, I was a friend invited me. This was many, many years ago. There was a guest speaker at the Bayat, and it was uh, like in honor of before Shavuos, and there was like a whole table set with different fruits, you, you, you know, that you have of Eretz Yisrael and lectures and so on. And at the end, there was so much food left over that they said, take it home. And one woman was walking around and taking all the Esrog jam, all the Esrog jam, one after the other, after the other. 
and I said to my friend, who is she? Like, why was she doing it? I didn't know then. She was, it was Maddie Leventhal. I don't know if you know her. She was yeah. a midwife. Oh, oh, Michelle, um, if you knew her, and she was taking it, it was for legit, the, for the, it wasn't just right, someone. Right, just, I was only, very nice, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's another story somebody tells about being at a checkout line, and her friend is at the next <laughs> checkout line, and she, you know, trying to get her attention and say hi to her, and for some reason, like, she's not connecting with her, and she's not, look, she's looking at her like, like, I don't know you, and then she starts, of course, thinking, like, my gosh, like, I don't know, maybe I said something or did something, and the relationship's cooled off, and I don't understand why she's being so um, ignoring me, really. And then what happened is, after she checked out, she realized, and that was a story I was going to tell at the end, Sarah Yocheved Rigler likes to say that we can either choose the world of connection or the world of estrangement. And the way we judge other people, you know, that's what we're doing. We're either saying, I want to be in the world of connection with this person who maybe has, you know, maybe uh, said something or did something and I can hold on to it for the rest of my life. Or I can choose to be in the world of estrangement. It all depends on me. You know, I decide which world I want to live in. And so she decided, I don't want to have all these ideas in my head, I'm going to run after this person in the in the parking lot and find out, like, why is she completely snubbing me? Anyway, she runs over to this woman and she says, Leia, what, what's going on? Hi. And Leia says, oh, you know what? I'm not Leia, I'm her twin sister, Rachel. <laughs> you know, this happens to me all the time. I'm sorry, right? So, you know, that's such a typical hub story, right? But these are the kind of things that we can make all kinds of imaginative ideas in our heads, and we're so barking up the wrong tree, and we get ourselves into such a state. And so, again, we have to be careful. So the last idea is that you have to judge the whole person. And we know this idea, And what does it mean, that you have to look at the whole person, the, all of the person, to be able to judge them favorably. So the last um, idea that she gives, it's like, let's say you're at an art museum and you're looking at the Mona Lisa. So, you know, when you go to any art gallery, I just went to the McMichael Gallery for the first time mm-hmm. and I was thinking about it um, just because, you know, she, she said to really, I, I was asking the, uh, the curator or whoever works, you know, where should you stand when you look at the art? She said, well, you have to stand back. So Dina Schoonmaker says that, you know, judging the whole person, she said, if you go to an art gallery and you take your little magnifying glass and you go up to the painting and you're, you know, look, studying the Mona Lisa like that, obviously maybe for people who really understand painting, there's something to that. But generally speaking, you know, they'll tell you if you really want to take in the whole picture and you really want to get an understanding of the incredibleness of this painting, you have to stand back to take it all in. So she says that it's the same thing with people, that sometimes to be able to done as kolha adam l'chavzchus, you have to stand back and take in the whole picture. You have to zoom out in order to overcome your hakpada instead of zooming in with your magnifying glass. You know, yeah, he forgot my birthday, or yeah, she said that comment again, which I've told her, you know, I really don't appreciate it when she says that. But you know what, what about all the nice things this person does for me? What about the overall picture of why this relationship 
is a worthwhile and good relationship. You know, maybe I need to drop the measuring stick and I also need to drop the magnifying glass, okay? And realize that I have a choice, again, whether I'm going to be in the world of connection or the world of estrangement based on whether I'm going to focus in on these little tiny things, right? As opposed to zoom out and look at the whole picture that 80% of it is good. Even if 20% of it drives me crazy. It's like I just heard Rabbi Wallerstein say, there are those who mourn that roses have thorns. And then there are those who rejoice that thorns have roses. Right? Mm -hmm. So really that is the mm -hmm. choice that we make all the time. And again, just, you know, back to the same idea. We can't control other people. We can only control ourselves. Our thoughts create our reality. And that freedom, true freedom, is self-mastery. So anyway, I think that's enough for today. So we, we covered this first tool called VTour, and we're going to continue and explore the other ones. Thank you for coming. Thank you.